Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. In each episode of River Talks, we explore a new topic related to the health, enjoyment, and protection of the Cumberland River Basin's water, people, and special places. We sit down with experts, artists, researchers, professionals, and more to share their knowledge and experiences. I'm Katherine Price, your River Talks host. Be sure to subscribe to River Talks to be notified of every new episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast. Clean and abundant water is provided to communities across the United States by skilled and trained environmental professionals. Yet the water workforce is facing an impending retirement crisis, with an expected 30 to 50 percent of the workforce retiring in the next decade. The crisis has reached emergency levels in many rural communities. At the same time, our water wastewater, and stormwater infrastructure are in desperate need of reinvestment to be resilient for the future, and stricter guidelines are coming out to protect water. Ensuring clean water is available to communities necessitates a highly skilled, trained, and certified workforce. The 2018 State Water Report, Tennessee H2O, outlines the crisis we could face. It states that while protecting the availability of water in our state is important, Quote, equal attention must be given to the critical need associated with a diminishing workforce charged with the maintenance, security, and growth of our infrastructure investment. The report goes on to say, quote, the state is quickly reaching the disturbing point of not having a sufficient number of operators to protect, manage, and maintain these systems in the future. In today's River Talk, we dive into the water workforce crisis and its impacts on our state. Plus, we explore how to connect young people to these rewarding STEM careers. Our guests on the podcast include Kevin Bird from the Tennessee Association of Utility Districts, Christina Carbajo with the Water Quality Technology Program at Pellissippi State Community College, Misty Brown with the Tennessee STEM Innovation Network, and of course, the Cumberland River Compact. These diverse partners come together in a unique collaborative approach to addressing the water workforce crisis and to providing clean water for Tennesseans. Well, thank you all for joining us on River Talks today to talk about this conversation around the water workforce. And this is sort of a big conversation. So let's start maybe with just the basics. When we think about the water workforce, what types of jobs are we talking about and where do these people work? Well, you know, I think that uh, generally speaking, uh, we think about water and wastewater operators as as the folks uh, that that take care of most of our water or the guy that comes out and reads your meter. But in reality, there are a host of other uh, careers and and job descriptions that reside in the uh, water industry. Uh, while we focus on operator uh, uh, training in our program, uh, we have uh, come to realize that there are many, many uh, careers from legal aspects, engineering, um, uh, geology um, backgrounds, uh, environmental science backgrounds. Uh, a lot of a lot of different disciplines come together in the uh, water industry. I agree. I think that the the water industry is really diverse, and most people. If they know anything about the water industry, they might immediately think about the water or wastewater operators. But like Kevin mentioned, we have distribution systems, collection systems, um, maintenance, you know, individuals. So all those people kind of work together to make it successful. Yeah, I think we all 
you know, the, the public, we tend to take for granted how water gets to us and just first off the infrastructure of that, which is a whole other conversation. But when we think on top of that, all the people that make that happen, there's so many people that go into bringing a glass of water to you, to bringing a shower, all of those types of things to making sure you've got that clean water. And, but when we're thinking about the water workforce, we're really seeing some trends and some sort of concerning trends when we think about the water workforce. So what exactly are we seeing within the water workforce, both nationally and in Tennessee? Well, across the state and across the nation, we do have a dire shortage in water treatment operators and wastewater treatment operators. And my whole um, objective with TAUD is to increase the number of certified operators um, in the state of Tennessee. And uh, with the uh, National Rural Water Association, our parent affiliate, uh, that's the goal nationwide as well. So we're we're seeing a, a major um, decrease in water treatment, wastewater treatment operators across our state and across the country, primarily due to um, retirement of this workforce. Uh, but I think that's really brought on by a lack of uh, knowledge about the careers and the promotion within the water industry itself of, of uh, careers in the industry. We just haven't done a good job promoting ourselves. Yeah, definitely that silver tsunami of folks potentially retiring in the next 10 years. And I think yes. that stat about the next 10 years, I think was released two or three years ago. So I, that time clock is kicking you know, clicking down to maybe seven or eight years that we're looking at really a dire shortage of certified and trained folks to work in these fields. And when we're thinking about Tennessee and the specific challenges we're seeing here, like Kevin, like you mentioned, this is a, a nationwide problem. So that gives us some sense of feeling like we're not alone in this issue, Correct. but also there are unique issues that we're seeing in Tennessee. So what exactly specifically are we seeing in Tennessee? Are there certain types of communities where we're seeing this issue arise more? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, my initial goal, uh, while we serve uh, over 500 members in our association, um, our initial goal is to serve the um, rural uh, small utility that has trouble keeping the people that they, that they have due to budget restraints um, as well as many of those small rural utilities have had a person in place for many, many years, and uh, that person is now ready to move on. And um, so, so they're trying to get people in place to replace themselves, if you, if you will. And uh, uh, again, we're, uh, those small rural facilities are competing against larger, uh, better paying uh, larger budgeted, better paying facilities. So oftentimes we see folks that get their certification um, while working in a rural small area, oftentimes are attracted to a larger facility because of the obvious pay increase. So that's uh, a couple of different uh, obstacles that we face. I agree with everything that Kevin said. I think that's exactly spot on. I think another issue that we may be seeing besides the retiring workforce and less people coming into the industry, there, there's not really a set training um, for people in this industry. There's not a one size fits all. Every utility is different. Every facility is different. So you can't get all of your knowledge just from on the job training. And I think that that's where we are kind of seeing the disconnect between folks that maybe have worked in the industry for many years um, and maybe they aren't successful at passing the state certification exam, 
there aren't always those resources available to them to help bridge the gap between the hands-on knowledge and the theoretical knowledge needed to pass the certification exams. Absolutely. So Kevin, I know in some conversations that we've had, you know, you've talked about, you know, specific communities that are really facing these issues. Is there any areas that you all are really focused on? I know you've talked about kind of rural communities in general, but are there specific areas that we're really starting to see this at like an emergency level? You know, that's an interesting question. I have apprentices across the state in all three grand divisions of the state. So it seems to be the need is equally distributed across our state. Um, You know, uh, and I'm searching now as you uh, asked that question for for one of my facilities that may stand out from the others, but really, really they all have the same issue. Um, uh, The need for more uh, certified folks, you know, which which relates in safer water, you know, and better a better product, um, but at the same time, trying to uh, get their budgets in in shape to attract and to pay these folks, because uh, uh, oftentimes I think these in historically these positions have not been considered as professional as they have become now, and now in 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 the world we live in, these are very highly technical uh, STEM oriented positions, and um, there's a lot of math, a lot of science uh, that needs to be. Uh, uh, tapped into and, and, and you have to know these things uh, to excel. Uh, again, back to uh, the, the older um, operators, again, they didn't have the formal knowledge, but we want to capture that institutional knowledge before it's gone. They have so much hands-on practical knowledge that, uh, that they've gained through t- trial and error over the years that we think is important too combined with the uh, related technical instruction that we provide, uh, we feel like it's just a, you know, a great match. And it's really um, uh, apprenticeship uh, uh, for me and my program is a great uh, strategy or a great playbook to follow uh, to produce this type of uh, certified individual. Yeah. And you bring up a good point, Kevin, because I think that there are some really unique challenges with this workforce conversation because you know, it's 2022. A lot of people are dealing with struggling workforces right now, being able to get people, retain people, all of that conversation just seems like it's part of our everyday talk now in a way that it wasn't two or three years ago. What is making the water workforce industry such a unique challenge to address? And Kevin, I know you mentioned kind of, you've got the changing dynamic of needing this more STEM-based knowledge to get into these careers. Um, what other things are we facing? And Christina, I'm curious to hear as you guys have been approaching your program, how you've been looking to uniquely address the water workforce. Yeah, well, for me, what I've immediately stumbled on in apprenticeship, most apprenticeships are supported by for-profit corporations who, who you know, have, have an a, a annual budget and they flow this, these uh, employees through their training program uh, month after month, week after week, year after year, um, and have a budget, you know, and, and set aside, uh, you know, plan for that. In the rural water uh, industry, the budgets are so tight and those budgets are really born from the amount of customers. So when I say rural you know, rural water, you immediately think of, of places that do not have a lot of uh, population, and these don't. So their customer base is smaller, thus their budgets are smaller. And it's just difficult for these folks to have, per, per, you know, uh, honestly, the personnel they need to effectively run their facilities uh, 
So, so for me, it's, it's, it's struggling budgets in these communities. I think the Pellissippi program is set up very similarly to the TAUD apprenticeship program. And so I try to focus more on the academic side, the theoretical knowledge side of the training. My students do have hands-on experience and they complete an internship just like the TAUD apprenticeship. Um, I guess my goal and my focus is more on the academic side, you know, the STEM courses, engineering courses, math heavy. Um, my students take math all four semesters that they're in uh, school with me. So I think that kind of approaching this problem from all different angles is really going to be the most effective way to address it. Absolutely, absolutely. And if I could add to what Christina just said, um, we have very similar programs, yet I think we, we often attract a, a slightly different uh, clientele. For example, uh, in, in the apprenticeship program, that may be a better fit for the individual who, who is not college bound or maybe not ready um, for the uh, college curriculum. And the Pellissippi program really focuses on that individual who has that background and has the uh, ability to succeed in a uh, junior college level course. Uh, so slightly different, very similar, but, uh, but addressing slightly different clientele. I agree. I think your program also is more successful at addressing those rural areas where I'm located in Knoxville. And so we have some of the larger utilities and that's where my students do their site visits and internships. So it's also kind of serving a different need. I, you know, my students mainly experience the larger and less rural areas, whereas yours are trying to fulfill the need for the rural areas. Absolutely. Uh, which I think is complements each other perfectly. We have folks out in the rural area and we have folks in the urban areas. So uh, I think our partnership is really designed for maximum uh, uh, potential. That's one of the things I've really loved about getting this group of people together as we come at a problem so complicated like this workforce industry question from all these different angles to try to address it. And Misty, I know from Tennessee STEM Innovation Network, you all work on addressing STEM workforce development in a lot of different industries and a lot of different ways to kind of get Tennessee students aware of these careers. So when, you know, being new to thinking about this water workforce industry, how does this look similar or maybe different to some of the other issues that you all are addressing with K through 12 students and workforce? We're actually in a really prime position right now because the governor has created this future workforce initiative and part of that has been career advising and awareness and getting that exploration, not only to kids as they're high schoolers, but starting in sixth grade, starting in these younger grades, making them aware, especially if they're in a rural environment, you don't have to leave. If you wanna be in a STEM field, you can still stay where you are. We have so many STEM careers that are applicable to a student in a rural environment. You don't have to leave home. You can continue to grow if you wanted to work in anything from agriculture, you know, through into manufacturing, but also the water treatment uh, plants as well. You've got a place where you're needed. The kids are getting multiple applications with, uh, we have two different sites. We have a career development site called Define Careers, and that lets them take an interest survey, find out kind of what they're into, and directs them into some different exploration pathways. But then we have Elevate Tennessee, and there are career cards there 
as the kids are learning what they're interested in, they take courses, they get badges on their resume that the whole system helps build, and they get connections with people in their area. So if I work with Kevin and I get the districts, the utility districts on Elevate TN as they are having jobs or job shadowing or apprenticeships come up, they can put that on the website and a local kid can connect with them as long as they're old enough to connect with them. We can do 16 and older, same for a job. Then suddenly you've got a whole new pathway. Maybe we've got a kid that is in Knoxville and they're looking into this. And I've got Christina with Pellissippi on there saying, hey, did you know there's a two-year pathway that you could look at in your area? So it's going to serve many students across the state at all of their levels. Yeah, I think the opportunities working with you all and the expertise that you bring to connecting students to these STEM careers is great. And, you know, thinking about how do we make these careers more appealing to young people, I think is kind of a big question that a lot of us are addressing in different ways. So, you know, the compact, we've worked with Tennessee Association of Utility Districts for over a decade now, I think working on, um, you know, providing curriculum for teachers, but now looking to update what we've done in the past to really focus more on not just the water curriculum, but also getting those career spotlights. So filming videos with people at these utility districts and showing them what these careers look like and then training teachers and helping them understand what is out there. Because of course, you know, we're, we're working to reach the students, but providing that information to the teachers is one of the best ways that we can start to get those uh, students engaged. And I know for me, when, when I've gone to the water utility districts and when we've gone to the water treatment plants and I've done these, these filming opportunities, it has been so cool to see what happens behind the scenes. And a lot of times that is not shown. And it, many times for security reasons, because it is your drinking water source. So we can't show you everything and we want to make sure that we're keeping you know, the communities safe. But when you get into these places and you see all of the you know, chemical equipment and the labs that are set up and the technology, the, you know, huge uh, screens that are monitoring where the water is coming from. You just see how much STEM is in this field in, you know, a way that it took me three decades to understand. And so I think the more we can expose younger people to what goes on in here and kind of peel back that curtain a little bit, it it's going to get people excited. I'm excited when I walk in there and see these cool things. And um, I think more and more that we can do that is, is a way to kind of continue to get kids and young people excited about these careers. But I'm curious from you all, you know, and Christina thinking about the students that you have coming into your program, um, you know, what, what is making them excited about doing these careers? Like, what are you hearing from them that is saying, hey, this is how we can get more people involved in these careers? I do think you're exactly right that the awareness really is our biggest limiting factor right now is letting people know and students know that these careers and these educational opportunities exist. So that's kind of one of the hurdles that I'm trying to work against right now. As far as the students that are in the program, the ones that have gotten jobs, they all love their jobs. It's a great community. It's a great career, lifelong career, very stable, well-paying. Um, you can work anywhere in the state, anywhere in the country, and I tell my students, you can really work anywhere in the world because everywhere needs clean drinking water and they need wastewater to be treated. So, you know, that can be appealing for someone that maybe wants to move away somewhere, you know, outside of the state of Tennessee. So I think showing the students the variety of opportunities that they have and the stability of this career is really one of the ways that we can um, 
kind of highlight the benefits that they that they can receive. I know that was something I heard from several of the folks that I connected with is over, you know, the past two years of the COVID-19 pandemic and being, you know, an essential worker, knowing that you are not going to get shut down because we still need clean water more than ever. If we think about all the hand washing and all those things we were told, you know, in the early part of the pandemic. And so a lot of that, you know, feeling of being truly essential and that feeling of knowing at the end of the day, you're coming back and you helped provide clean water to the residents of your community. Like Misty, you were saying, maybe the community you grew up in, the rural community that you grew up in and you were in for your whole life. And that is something that has been um, shared with me a lot about why these careers are so valuable to people in them. Well, I couldn't agree you know, more with, with what has been said. Um, in, a, in a former career, I um, took kids to uh, college campuses, rural students, rural schools to college campuses to um, expel the fear and the myths and about being on a college campus. And we found that the more that we took them, um, and, and it's only common sense, the more relaxed and the more comfortable they were, were on these campuses. And this was uh, four-year colleges, uh, two-year colleges, you know, large campus, small campus. Um, so I think the same practice uh, would work here. Uh, we, you just got to get the young people onto those facilities. Now, I've launched my program in the middle of a pandemic, and that's been somewhat uh, difficult. But I do feel that we will get back to the days where we can do tours of facilities and internships and job shadowing at these facilities. And once that happens, um, you know, that would be my first um, uh, advice is to get the young folks onto the sites and let them experience and be around the people and uh, see see this technology and see this uh, these STEM topics covered at these facilities. I think there's a disconnect that this is a STEM field. There's this idea that, oh, you're working at a treatment facility, you must not be a STEM expert. In fact, it's all based in STEM. So like with Kevin getting the kids on the college campus, getting them more exposure to what STEM is, the fact that it's so broad, it makes them much more comfortable with the idea that, yeah, that's a STEM field. I can go into it and I can be successful. And one of our topics literally has the word waste in it. So we, we're constantly trying to defeat the, the top, the wastewater uh, stigma, uh, which, to be quite honest, I have more apprentices in the wastewater uh, path than I do in the water path. I also have more wastewater students at Pellissippi than drinking water. Uh, I guess the need is greater. Yeah, from what I've seen, it's been so interesting. You know, they talking about, for example, at a wastewater treatment plant, like a lot of what you do is chemistry and biology and action. Like, how are we going to take waste products and make it so we can put clean water back into our streams and rivers? And that is all applied chemistry and biology. And I know when I was at one of the utilities, they had this new piece of equipment and they were like, well, what we do is we take a sample from the source water, so where they're pulling the water from to be treated, we can run it through here and see what types of microorganisms are in it. it takes all these really cool pictures, all you know, all the diatoms, all the bacteria. Like, do you want to see it? We can run it if you want. I was like, yes, I want to see it. I want to see this whole thing happen. And they put the water in there and they ran it and just all these teeny tiny pictures, just exactly like what you see in your textbook that you're, you know, labeling in class and thinking, how am I ever going to use this? You're sitting there looking at it thinking about, okay, this is the, these are the things that 
potentially I need to get out of the water or potentially are causing um, an issue with the water before it comes into the drinking water treatment plant. Then they can test the water afterwards, do the same thing. And the little screen pulls up, you know, three little images of three tiny little things. And that's all that was left in the water. And that entire process is all of that applied chemistry and biology that, that you learn about in the classroom. Absolutely. And, and there are so many offshoots. Just you mentioning that causes me to think about just the world of testing. There's an entire uh, uh, cadre of careers just in testing water and wastewater uh, that's uh, you know, off the facility side, you know, they send those samples uh, to multiple labs. So there are, there are whole industries. Um, one of the certifications that we require in our program is to uh, be cross connections certified to prevent backflow um, uh, uh, failure in backflow uh, valves. That's an entire career. Um, a person that goes to our program could go through and be certified in that area and not do any uh, water or wastewater uh, treatment. They can they can start their own business really doing uh, backflow uh, uh, evaluation and inspection. So again, multiple, multiple careers that uh, that that spider web off of uh, the water industry. And then you also have uh, Seth Rye, who's an engineer who trained a dog to sniff out water leaks. So, I mean, if you want to do that, you know, there's an example of something you could do of a STEM in action. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, that's a whole topic within the water industry that the water industry is addressing, and that is water loss. Uh, the general public has no idea how much water we just lose uh, on a daily basis. It's millions of gallons of water. And uh, thankfully, uh, the, the state of Tennessee uh, has made that a priority. Water loss um, uh, prevention is, is priority in our state. And again, as you mentioned, Seth Ryan, his engineering firm, um, that's what they do. They just find water leaks all over our state, correct them, and stop that flow of water, you know, back, uh, that loss of, of, of water back into the environment. Yeah, and I think you bring up a good point about why all of this matters, right? You know, of course we need people in these jobs because we need to have clean water for right now. But when we think about the future and a lot of the future water issues that we might deal with, everything from, you know, updates to our water infrastructure, to water security, to extreme weather, you know, those are all things that connect to the water workforce. So what are we seeing when we're thinking about not just addressing this workforce industry issue now, but also into the future? Uh, well, I'll, I'll give my two cents. Um, uh, EPA will is not going away anytime soon, and they will never stop protecting the water. And I think that's a great thing. Um, and Tennessee uh, uh, is involved heavily with EPA initiatives and uh, uh, requirements, um, uh, water loss prevention, cleaner water, safer water, uh, is priority. There's, you know, honestly, there's no way that will ever go away. It will only be enhanced um, as technology uh, is enhanced. Um, and, and one example is the uh, SCADA systems that are now in place. I mentioned water loss. Uh, you know, now instead of just waiting to see uh, where water may show up or where water pools to the surface, we now have electronic uh, monitoring systems that, that uh, monitor flow of water throughout communities and can de detect water loss, uh, water leaks, you know, 
much, much quicker and much more efficiency. That's never going to go away. That will only be enhanced, and the technology behind it um, uh, will, 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 will drive that industry for sure. To address the topic of water security, uh, Tennessee is really lucky that we don't necessarily face water insecurity. We have lots of groundwater and surface water in our state that is readily available at this time. That may change as populations increase or maybe pollution increases or something like that, but our state hasn't so far had to worry as much about water security. It's a huge problem in other areas, other parts of the country, other parts of the world. Um, I try to teach my students about the American West and the water shortages there. You know, water treatment and wastewater treatment has a totally different goal there and uh, methods. And so it's important to not um, only be focused on our small area, but also think about nationally or globally the issues that we face that are all interconnected. Absolutely. Even though we don't necessarily deal with those water security issues now, it's certainly something that could be an issue in the future or in smaller communities where we are seeing drought and we are seeing, you know, a lot of these concerns. And I think, Kevin, you bring up the point, the part of STEM we maybe haven't talked as much about, which is technology. So all of these things, I mean, we've been treating water since the late 1800s in very basic ways, you know, hand valves eventually in the, you know, 40s and 50s. And now everything is very tech-based. You have these huge screens that are monitoring things. And so that takes a huge set of skills to program those, that equipment, to understand how to use that equipment. And so I think that's a whole other part of really these careers in this industry that's changing. Like you said, the guidelines for water are going to get stricter. We're seeing that right now with the EPA coming out with you know, we're looking to come out with regulations around PFAS and PFOS that haven't existed before. And that's going to require a lot more training and a lot more tech to be able to address. Absolutely. And I think there are some communities, um, uh, unfortunately, in Waverly, Tennessee, and in Northwest Tennessee, uh, near the Kentucky line with the tornadoes and the, and the flooding that happened out there, um, we saw the, the water systems um, shut down. And um, I think very quickly, those folks realized the importance of keeping that water going. Thankfully, uh, Tennessee has a great family of water industry personnel who converged on those communities and got that water back up running as, as quickly as possible. Uh, maybe more importantly, the wastewater uh, taken care of as, as quickly as possible. But I think those two events uh, were very good examples of how quickly our water uh, uh, supply can be impacted and how important it is to have plans in place and structures in place to correct those once it happens, because you never think it's going to happen until it happens. And in those communities, it did, unfortunately. Yeah. And in 2010 in Nashville, the KR Harrington water treatment plant was underwater and completely out. And I think it was, we were what, a foot or less from uh, flooding out Omahundra, which would have mean, would have meant we had no clean drinking water in the city. I mean, it People don't realize how close to an absolute disaster that would have been. And thinking about now with KR Harrington, you know, engineers have come in and they've totally flipped the setup and all of that equipment that was in the basement is on second, third story. And so we bring in the engineering. And like we said, these careers just span everything. People who are designing these facilities and designing them not just for now, but for flooding events, for extreme weather, for drought, all these things that now have to come into play when we think about our facilities. I think that's sort of where 
SIN starts to come in too, is getting that awareness that it's so vast and you have to consider those emergency situations. So getting kids, even in the elementary levels, understanding safe water is important, clean water is important. How does it get to your house? And so we've got lessons um, and we've worked with the Cumberland, Cumberland River Compact in order to you know, collaborate and get younger kids understanding that water doesn't magically appear. Clean water isn't just uh, something that you're always going to have. How does it go from the sky falling in rain to your shower? <laughs> so getting kids to understand filtration, microbes, um, natural water like in your stream versus the clean drinking water in your house. Don't just go and drink the water in the stream because this is what could be living in it. And getting younger kids understanding that clean water isn't just promised. It actually is something we have to be very purposeful and directed in creating. Absolutely. And I think that's where our organization, you know, typically kind of watershed organizations haven't engaged as much in the drinking water and wastewater sort of side of the water conversation. We've been focused on the streams and rivers and things like that. But, you know, for us, it's, you know, our work in protecting streams and rivers and the source water for all of this drinking water, you know, if, if we don't have the right people in those careers and in that industry, then we're still not going to have clean water. So it is such an important thing to address when we're thinking about you know, why and how we get clean water and how and why those things can go wrong in many different ways. And this is just an added layer to thinking about being able to provide clean and abundant water across Tennessee and the Cumberland River Basin. One of the hot items right now is problem-based learning. You want to give a student a real problem to solve? What happens when you don't have clean water? If I could add a little to that, um, I don't want to get too broad here, um, but since we're talking about STEM, I would love to see some curricular um, uh, advancements made in our elementary grades that emphasize a little more uh, higher level thinking in science and, and very generally just the love for math. Oftentimes, uh, math is not the preferred subject of an elementary school teacher. And I think as a result of that, oftentimes math has found itself um, itself pushed, you know, a little in, in a secondary role. And I would love if our state would embrace uh, a program that would teach the love of math to elementary kids. Um, and I don't want to be too broad on that, but I think it would certainly translate into students taking more advanced math in high school and then obviously into college or careers. Uh, but I do think we could brush up just a little bit in our education uh, department as it relates to uh, promoting math and the importance and, and really the love of math. If a student enjoys uh, a subject, they're going to do better. And if they feel like their teacher loves it and enjoys it, they will, especially in the elementary grades, they will follow suit. So I would love to have that conversation or this conversation maybe uh, 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 transcend uh, uh, science and 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 move over into the through the education department as well. Math is the M in that STEM. So I mean that is an important part of STEM and it integrates in with all of those different components. And unfortunately, I think like you said, a lot of times that might be what 
prevent somebody from going into a career is if they feel like they don't have the math or the love or interest in math in order to pursue it. So I think that that is definitely part of this. I wholeheartedly agree with everything that you said. I love math and I teach math in all the courses that I teach my students. I teach nine different water quality courses and I do math in all nine of them. Um, And most of my students do come in saying that they're not good at math is what I mostly hear. Um, And I hate to hear that because anyone can work hard at something and practice and become better at it. And so I think that there is a mindset shift that needs to happen in um, primary and secondary education regarding these STEM, all the STEM fields, really, you know, I'm not good at math. I'm not good at science. Well, why aren't you good at those things? Maybe you just didn't have a good teacher. Uh, Maybe your teacher wasn't interested in those topics when they were teaching them to you. And so I really try to break down those stigmas as well in all the classes I teach because um, showing that it can be accessible to anyone, even if you don't have a strong foundation in it, I think is really important. Kind of changing the, the narrative of it. I take a little longer with math. It's not that I'm bad at it. I may take a little bit longer than the average Joe. And I was working with one of our math instructors when I was in the classroom and I taught English. And he said, the way that you look at math is you're looking at it as a series of rules. But what if you looked at it instead as the way that you structure a sentence? That's rules. But punctuation and dialogue in a sentence is the same as an equation. That really shifted the way I looked at at a math problem. It no longer was a bunch of numbers and letters thrown together. It had a series of rules that was similar to the way that I would structure a sentence. Well, I think you see with math and with science and STEM in general, when there's not that excitement and appreciation for those topics in, in K through 12, we get to kind of what we have, what we've been talking about, this water workforce, where we have an industry that is very STEM focused, that has a lot of opportunities that people don't know about or don't feel like they can do because they don't feel like they've got the math to go to Christina's program at Pellissippi State. They don't have the science to be, you know, an apprentice with Kevin. And that's just simply not true. And I think all four of us, if you can't tell, are so excited about the water workforce and all the different ways that we can address this. And so bringing that enthusiasm to more people and especially more young people to just say, yes, you can do this. And there are opportunities and there are all these people. I mean, our four organizations plus countless more that are so excited to support people in getting into these roles that it's something we are happy for people to take on and and know that we're here to help along the way. Well, I know we've had a lot of conversation about the water workforce and we could probably talk water and workforce and STEM especially the four of us for a very long time. So I will just wrap up by saying thank you all for joining this conversation. Thank you for being thought partners and excited organizations and people in addressing this issue, because I think that this is a really unique team and I'm so excited to see what we can continue to do together because I think we're addressing this from so many different angles and that's what it's going to take to hopefully you know, bring some resolution to this water workforce industry not just in Tennessee, but really across the country, I think we can be a model for a lot of other states that are looking to um, address this issue. So thank you all so much for joining today. Welcome, thanks for doing this. Thank you for the opportunity. So much. Thanks to Kevin, Christina, and Misty for joining me for today's River Talk. 
The Cumberland River Compact is excited to work with these great partners on projects to address the water workforce. As always, check out our blog for all the resources and details mentioned today at cumberlandrivercompact.org blog.